You're taking your Bibles, and I would like you to join me in the book of Proverbs, is where we're going to head to this evening. Sermon notes are coming through. If you're joining with us, a series that's talking about family, we started this last Sunday night. And I want to, over the next few months, weeks, whatever it's going to take us, talk about a variety of issues that deal with the family. They're going to, we're going to talk about husband and wife relationships. We're going to talk about in-law, outlaw relationships. We're going to talk about the idea of parenting, brothers and sisters, obligations towards those who are elderly and the elderly's involvement with your family. Where I wanted to start was where most of our homes start. And so last week we started, we just want to do it last week and this week. I want to talk about that area of where most families get started through somebody doing some dating. Okay, and so we want to, because of this area, because this is the way our culture works. Our culture works with a dating, typical dating process, whether it's because you meet somebody and you got through work or church or school, or you did some online work and you got a date set up, whatever it is. But this is where this process of developing your family, but it's also a process that what happens for many of us in that dating experience, we develop people skills. We develop interrelational skills. We develop the communication level. And we want to talk about some of that because if your communication level was lousy when you were dating, it's probably going to continue right into your marriage. And so we want to talk about this aspect and want to help you parents in particular to help train your young people in this area. We, um, we, we realize that this is an important issue. But we also made this comment last week that, that uh, it's not found in the Scripture. Now, there are some things that when we talk about dating, we should probably talk about. And that comes from this one individual who has this whole dossier that you're supposed to fill out for an application to date his daughter. Okay, it goes on like this. It says, notice, this application will be incomplete and rejected unless accompanied by a complete financial statement, job history, lineage, criminal history, driving history, and psychological evaluation. So if you're going to date this man's daughter, here's some of the things he's asking besides name, height, weight, social security, home address. He asks this, do you have one male, one female parent? How fast can you run the 40 yards? Uh, do you own a van, a motorcycle? Is any part of your body pierced? And then he goes on to ask other questions. What does late mean to you? What, what does don't touch my daughter mean to you? What church do you attend? How often do you attend? The best time for me to interview your minister, your mother, and your father. He goes on. Answer by filling in the blanks. Please answer freely. All answers will be kept confidential. The last place on my body I would like to be shot is... If beaten, the last bone I would like to be broken is... The one thing I hope this application does not ask me is... goes on. In the event of my untimely death, notify... My greatest fear is, what do you want to be if you grow up? Then he goes on, have you ever been fingerprinted? Your dentist's name is, <laughs> I swear, now when you're all done, you're supposed to fill out. I swear that all information supplied above is correct to the best of my knowledge under penalty of death, dismemberment, Native American ant torture, crucifixion, electrocution, Chinese water torture, and red-hot pokers. And then you sign. And then the final comment from the dad. Thank you for your interest. Please allow four to six years for processing. You will be contacted in writing if you are approved. Please do not try to call or write. It could cause dis qualification and injury to your body. Now that's, that's one person's approach to it in a humorous way to say, okay, this is serious stuff. It is serious stuff. It is serious. It should be serious to us parents. It should be serious to you individuals who are going to have
of that experience in your life. But let's, let's back up and let's remind ourselves from our previous study what we said. That there is no one verse that uses the phrase dating. There is no, it's not a, it's not a, a biblical term. It's not a practice that is defined in Scripture. However, the concept is in Scripture. Whoso finds a wife finds a good thing. The idea is there's a searching that takes place. There is also the passage in Proverbs that says, There be three things that are too wonderful for me, yea, four that I cannot understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon the rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. It is so wonderful. And it is so unusual. And it's happened for a lot of you in this room that all of a sudden you had that experience and you found that special someone and you know, it was just how you got together is kind of the hand, the providence of the Lord. And so we want to talk about, okay, what in this practice, what are some of the principles? Now, the numbers I'm giving you this evening are from last week's study. So the number three we talked about last week, we know that when it comes to dating, we made this, this practice, this principle, that it has to be done in a way that glorifies God. Well, that's part of everything in our life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is all-inclusive. Whether, therefore, you eat or you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says in, Pro, in Ephesians, he says that what we're supposed to be doing on, in everything is proving what is pleasing to the Lord. We aren't supposed to ask what's wrong with something. We're supposed to ask what's right about it. That's a whole different approach as a born-again believer, as a biblicist. We don't have to find out what's wrong with this activity. We're supposed to say what's right with this activity. Not what's wrong with that TV program. What's good about that TV program? Not what's wrong about you know, how I'm spending my money. What's right about how we're doing it, whether it's pleasing to the Lord. We made this other observation last week. As if I can get this to work for me. We know that dating is something that ought to be discussed between young people. In particular, I'm talking to the, with the idea that in our culture it's mostly teens. But I recognize that some of you, as the Lord has intervened in your life, and some of you are a little bit older, some of you, you're either going to come to this because of what's happened in your life with a family loss, that some of you are, have remarried, you went through a dating process. But typically we're talking, okay, what about parents to teens? What about parents to older, younger, older, younger kids? Okay, that these are things that we're supposed to talk about. In Proverbs chapter 5, we looked at this week, Proverbs 7, in both of these texts, it's the dad talking to the son, and he is saying, son, I need to talk to you about certain things. And he's talking about relationships with a woman. And he gets very, very pointed in Proverbs, in both chapters 5 and 7. Proverbs 31, that passage that we talk about, the virtuous woman, it is the mother talking to her adult son, saying, this is the type of woman you should be interested in. It is incumbent upon parents to give instruction. A lot of us here in this room, we didn't have that privilege. Our, our parents didn't sit us down. But you who are believers, you who know better, you have a moral code book called the Scriptures to sit down and to give advice and to give standards. Now what I asked Pastor Tony to do for me this evening was to collect some books. And I'm going to put these books on the front pew. And these are very important books. They're... they're um, they're books that talk about sexuality. And when I'm talking about dating, I'm not just talking about, you know, sex. We understand that sex is not for dating. But when you're talking about um, that whole idea of dating, you have to also be talking about the, the gender relationship. You've got to be training. Now, obviously, this book is not for older kids, okay? It's one that's for younger kids. But some of you parents who are training little kids need to start be having some tools by which you can start talking about the issues of gender relationships, the issues of not getting into all the birds and the bees, but sexuality, and starting... Because the kids are hearing it, folk. 
You can say they don't hear it. They hear it. When we had that seminar on, um, uh, that seminar on, um, help me out, um, the digital discernment, they were pointing out that by the age of nine years old, kids who are dealing with the Internet, they are exposed to sexuality a lot. Okay, it's there. It's, it's just, so we need to, as adults and who are born-again Christian parents, we need to start explaining some things. And so here's some tools. Pastor Tony said he grabbed several. You could ask him in, in particular which are the different age groups. And, but there's some that go from uh, talking about teenagers, talking about um, healthy sexuality. And these are very important tools that you as parents may want to get your hands on and may want to use as tools to help a, create a Concerning teenager, a teenager that has biblical morality. And again, they're available not for you to take, but for you to come, check it out to see if it's an author you're interested in. Again, Pastor Tony has just volunteered to be able to answer your questions up here at the front. And so thank you for volunteering to be up here. Um, number seven was what we talked about last week, and this was very important that we stopped and we said, no, wait a minute, dating is not a must for everybody. Now, in our culture, we mentioned last week that there's this innate um, observation of people that they're not, if they're not dating something strange about them. Not really. Biblically, they have been gifted by God. Some individuals not to be so focused in on that relationship and focus more on serving the Lord. And so it's not something that we should decry. It's not something that we should question about the person. We should encourage them. And we made the observation that we shouldn't be pushing our young adults. We shouldn't be pushing our kids. We shouldn't be pushing our grandkids into this idea they got to date, they got to date, they got to date. They're going to get enough pressure already. And so we want to be careful with that. We made an observation, and this was so important that we said, and that is dating is not for unmarried couples only. And I'm not talking about married couples going out on the, and, and dating somebody else. I'm talking about you dating your spouse. That's an unsaid. That you should be and focused on saying we need to spend time together. We need to get away from the kids so that we can go out for a night and talk about the kids, um, which typically happens to us. But just to get alone and talk, that's very important. We made this observation. This is where, and I should have had you go here first of all. We're going to be in Proverbs. But in Matthew 22, let me get there and read for you. And if you'd like to join me here for just a second. In Matthew 22, and then we'll jump to Proverbs, Jesus is talking. And in the middle of his sermon, he's going to be challenged in his middle of his ministry. He's going to be challenged by a young man who comes and says, what is, what is the, the most important commands to keep? And what are the most important parts of the Bible to keep? This is, this is one of Jesus' most pungent statements. And he makes this comment, and we're going to build a whole relationship issue based on this one passage. Jesus responds and says, This is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Then he goes on. The second is, you shall love your... Do you remember? Your neighbor as yourself, of these two commandments, hangs all the law and prophets. We closed last week with this statement. We said that if you follow these simple three rules from this text, it'll help you in all relationships. And we're talking dating, but it could be your marriage. It could be inner relationships with parents, with siblings, with everybody else. Here they are. Always do God's commands. Number one, you always do God's commands in this relationship. You can see how this can play to a child, to a parent. There's commands to obey the parent. You can see how this could apply to a husband and wife. What are the commands to the husband? Husbands, do what to your wives? Love your wives. Wives, do what to your husbands? 
submit, reverence, follow him. You can see how this would apply in all relationships. You go to work. What are you commanded to do towards your boss? Follow the ideas you're supposed to work with integrity, with honesty. Um, there's, this would apply in every area. We're talking dating in particular. We'll see how it applies in a second. Always do God's commands. Number two, put God first in all relationships. In, in interacting with other people, you put God first. God first. God first in this relationship. Not that other person, but God. I follow his commands. Number two, I put God first. And number three, do you remember what it was? Treat others as you would have them treat you. That was the third command. Treat others as you want to be treated. Now, I'm going to take this and develop this this evening with the idea of dating, okay? And yet it applies, and we're going to probably come back to it And when we talk husbands, wife, things like that. But let's start with this. What commands would apply to somebody who is interested, or parents, you're going to teach somebody, what commands do you want to relay to your young person about dating? There are five that I would see. You, can, you might have others, but I would think there's five, and these are the five that we wanted to encourage in our home. Number one was this. When dating, date only saved, committed Christians with good character. When dating, here's a command. Say, date only saved, committed Christians with good character. The reason we base this, uh, we state this, is 2 Corinthians 6. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? We even read elsewhere, now this is going into a doctrinal question. Okay, a situation, he says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a command, that you withdraw yourselves from other believers that might be born again, but are they committed, that walks disorderly and not after the teachings which he has received of us. Those are two, those are two passages that give you the command that when it comes to relationships, in particular dating, you date somebody who is saved and committed Christian. Now, let's, let's back up, okay? Let's remind ourselves that what we learn is dating is not an evangelistic tool. God did not design it that way. God is not saying, okay, when you go out searching for a spouse, search for somebody who doesn't believe in me, somebody so that you can use this as evangelism. No, he talks about in, in Proverbs, you go and you find certain type of individuals, people who love the Lord, who are wise in that relationship. You start not with the evangelistic outreach, but rather I'm looking for somebody who can help me spiritually. Let, let's make another observation. When it even comes to doctrinal positions, it is very important in your dating because your dating can, re, can develop into a relationship that's going to be a married, marriage. So what happens if you get involved with somebody, you fall in love with them, but they believe in baptism of an infant to secure salvation? Is that a biblical doctrine? No, actually, it's contrary to scriptures, is it not? And you say, yeah, but when we'll talk about it after we get married. That's not the time to talk about the doctrinal differences. The time to talk about what you're going to hold as a family. Because once you get married, you're a family. You don't have to have kids to be a family. But once you have a family, your family expands with kids. That's not the time you're going to discuss how you're going to teach your kids. You should be discussing this ahead of time. You should be finding out, do we agree? Do you believe that once saved, you are kept saved? Do you believe in eternal security? That's a big doctrine, folk. 
What do you believe about baptism? That's a big doctrine. What do you believe about communion? That's a, that's a major doctrine. That's a major practice. It is worthwhile that you would find out, okay, what do they believe? Do they believe what I believe? What do they believe about the Holy Spirit? What do they believe about deity of Christ? What do they believe about? And so finding those things out. And I remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35, the passage of reference I put up here, this is the text that says that ladies, once you're married, if you have doctrinal questions, who are you supposed to go to? You're not supposed to come to the preacher. You're supposed to go to your husband first. In other words, the husband's supposed to be the doctrinal leader in the home. In 2 Timothy 1, do you remember this text? This is talking about Timothy, who taught you Timothy and gave you sound doctrine? Do you remember who he says? You learned at the feet of two ladies. Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother. The role of the moms is they're doing a lot of teaching. The role of the dads, they're supposed to be the doctrinal leader. The scriptures encourages us, therefore, to make sure that in these relationships, guys, we're supposed to be sound. We're supposed to be able to teach. Moms, you're supposed to be able to teach. You're supposed to know what you believe. So it's very important. Now, sometimes the question comes, and I'm not trying to be silly or, or being too elementary, but this is a question I get asked at times. How do I find out about this person that I'm interested in? How do I find out if they're saved? How do I find out if they're spiritual? How do I find out what they are, if they're sound in doctrine? Do I walk up to them and say, are you spiritual? Well, that would be the odd question. But is it odd to ask them, are you saved? Actually, no. No, if you want to find out if they're born again, ask them about their testimony. If you want to find out if, what they are spiritually, ask them what they do for devotions. Ask them what they do for prayer. You're going to want to know about this person, and they should be able to share with you. If you want to know where they are doctrinally, find out what their church believes. If they're in a regular practice of going to church, then they're probably uh, ascribing to that church's doctrines which you could find out what do they believe on major doctrines. Make that a point of discussion. I would encourage, find out. You know, you know, the joke here on that thing was, you know, give us, a, a, give us a, a statement of all your finances and things like that. Maybe in the dating process, if you're dating somebody who's of a different church background, you don't know, find out. Go online. Find out what their church doctrinal statement is. That could have great bearing in giving you some insight into what they believe. During your dating Discuss the Bible. Discuss doctrine. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if you want to know if they're really spiritual, what does Matthew 7 says? By their fruits you will know. Watch, look, observe. See what they think and how they act. What do I mean by good character? We could spend the entire evening on this study alone, and it could take us weeks and months, multiple evenings, talking about good character. The good character is what the book of Proverbs is dealing with. Talking about people who have a walk with the Lord, but that just because they have a walk with the Lord doesn't mean that they have good character or virtue traits. So the book of Proverbs is filled with instruction and mostly from a parent to a young person saying, here's what you need to be teaching. Here's what you need to be trying to instill in your children. What type of good traits? What type of virtues? Starting in Proverbs chapter 2. Let me just look at just a few verses. But here, when we're talking in the book of Proverbs, he is talking about different people to avoid, different people to associate with. In particular, he's talking in Proverbs 2, he's talking about, okay, what 
type of woman do you get involved with, young man? And he talks about some of those wise people, some of those foolish people, and what you look for and what you avoid. It is interesting in Proverbs 2 that he gives us some of these traits. He says, okay, here's somebody that you kind of want to avoid. He's talking about the in verse 16 of Proverbs 2, deliver you from the strange woman, even from the stranger who flatters with her words. The idea is she flirts a lot. Okay, is that somebody you want to really develop a relationship that she is very flirtatious with other people? The same text. It says, who forsakes the guide of her youth, forgets her covenant with her God. Somebody who forgets, she promised to the Lord. She followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Part of believer's baptism is I'm going to walk in newness of life. That was a covenant you made with God. That was a, a commitment you made to the Lord. Is that person following through with that? The idea, you go to Proverbs chapter 6 and jump over and you can look at the passages that he's going to talk about. Okay, how do you know? What do you look for? He talks about this individual. Don't lust after this woman in chapter 6 verse 25. Neither let her, let her take you with her eyelids. That is you know, she's suggestive in her, in her flirtatious um, you know, looks and talks about the idea that she's very heavy the way she paints herself. We could go to other texts. We'll see several of them in a few moments that I'll put on the screen to keep this going. Chapter 7, verse 11, talks about one who is loud, one who is audacious with her speech, boisterous, one who is clamorous, the word is she complains a lot. Okay? Remember how the Proverbs talks elsewhere about a clamorous woman? It's better to be up on the rooftop than with this type of a person. And he's, what he's doing is he's telling his son, avoid this type of woman. Don't make a long-term relationship with her. One without discretion. She makes bad choices. One who is brawling. In other words, she is very argumentative, very nagging. She's just very critical and finding things that she is just very open with, fault-finding, fault-finding, fault-finding. Avoid that type of person. In chapter 30, verse 20, it's the idea that when she knows she's done wrong, it doesn't bother her. It's the idea there's no conviction for doing wrong. And he warns again. He is saying, stay away from this type of person. Don't get involved with that person. And then he adds to it this woman who is lazy, a sluggard, one who is not real, uh, real prone to doing things that she's supposed to be doing. These are, in particular, character traits that he is talking about. Man... Young men in particular, watch out. This is the type of woman you shouldn't be interested in. You might be, but you shouldn't, for, you shouldn't follow after those pursuits. Don't go after that because this is not going to be a healthy relationship. Now, he doesn't just say in a negative sense. He, in Proverbs 30, he's very positive. He's talking about the type of character traits, good character that you'll see in a woman. That is, this is, this is the type. This is the good woman. And he's talking about how she speaks well of her husband, of her man. That she expresses confidence. She is one who is kind in her speech towards those who are around, especially her family. So, Which takes away this idea that when we are with family, we can treat them however we want, say whatever we want, because it's my family. No, in fact, it's just the opposite. You look and say, is this person kind in their speech to their family? Let's go a little bit further. They need to be an organized person, disciplined person, an individual that, that, they, that others speak well of this person. They have a good reputation, that the family speaks well. These are the positives that are given. Okay, and these are dealing with the female. Now, does Proverbs talk about the guys, what to avoid in guys? 
is he give any counsel to the ladies and say, ladies, this is the type of guy with poor character. Yeah. Yeah, there's several passages that are very, very specific about the men that talks about, okay, one who hangs around and deals, deals with two things in this text. One who stays around and hangs around the wine-bibbers and they eat a lot. Okay? It's an individual who is a party-hardy type of person. It's the individual who is unself, doesn't have self-discipline. It's the individual, chapter 15, the individual who despises his mother. And we're, not, we're talking not the rare case, but we're talking the general case that somebody who is very disrespectful to their parents. Watch out. Ladies, stay away from that guy because if they disrespect their parents, chances are they will disrespect you in time. And so he gives that warning. Then there's in Proverbs all kinds of verses that are, that are gender neutral. That they don't just talk about the guy or the gal, but their general principles, like the soul of the sluggard desires. He says, watch out for lazy people. Okay, stay away from that type of an individual. Talks about those who hang around the troublemakers. He that walks with wise men is going to be wise, but a companion of fools, they're going to be destroyed. So look at the companions, look at the people, the type of person they hang around with. Are they individuals who are wise, individuals who are productive, individuals who are reliable, or are they hanging around the type of crowd that gets into a lot of trouble? In chapter 15, he talks about he that is greedy of gain, he troubles his own house. He that hates bribes, he's going to be a lot better off. Is this person materialistic? Are they greedy? Are they living for the almighty dollar? Be careful if that's the case. Be careful of long-term relationship. Do they share other people's mistakes? Do they cover a transgression or do they repeat a matter? Do they try to divide people? Do they cause disunity amongst friends? Are they a gossip? Are they a, are they a, you know, a, a critical spirit, fault finder? Here we go in chapter 18. It says, a fool's mouth is his destruction. His lips are a snare. In other words, does this person talk too much? Does this person share too much? Do they have to express their opinion? By the way, we are living in a culture that has made this even more predominant to feel like you have to give an opinion on everything. Right? In the, electri- in the, in the media world we live in, isn't it encouraged to just make a comment on everybody else's comment and just write what you think? And yet the scriptures would say, be discerning. You don't have to always say what you think. Okay? There are a number of folk that have said to me over the last couple of years, they say, well, if we're going to be honest, we have to say what we think. That's not being honest. That's being foolish. Okay? You do not have to say everything. Discretion is you don't say everything. And you're cautious that you say things that are beneficial, things that are constructive, things that are not argumentative, things that don't tear down. And so he, in Proverbs, it's a lot of passages that talk about controlling your speech. So he goes on, we can go on, confidence in an unfaithful man. Do they keep their word? Do they make a promise? Do they keep uh, little things? Like if they say they're going to show up and do something, do they show up and do it? And yet we all know that there can be an exception. But generally, are they an individual that they fulfill their word? If they say that they're going to get involved with this type of whatever it is, do they follow through with their commitment? Do they, do they, uh, do they keep the promises that they promise you? Okay, you look at that. Those are very, very important character traits that in the book of Proverbs talks about. He gives the negatives. He also gives positives. The positives could include what do they do with their money? Are they faithful to God? 
Are they faithful to God? Are they an individual who honors the Lord with their, with their provisions? According to chapter 3, verse 9, as we put it up there. Do they listen to counsel? Listen to counsel, receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Are they an individual that is open to getting advice? Or is the, are they portraying an attitude of know-it-all, that they don't want to listen to anybody? Here's the positive. They seek to avoid conflicts. It is honorable for a man to stop a conflict, stop a fight, stop the striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. I mean, you've all had that occasion, whether it be a neighbor or somebody at a store, or somebody get upset with you quickly over something. Seek to live at peace with all men. That's a virtue. It's, it's, you know, I know that in the ancient world they said, oh, that meekness is a terrible, terrible trait. You've got to be strong and fight for your rights. No, in scriptures, we're supposed to be, seek to be at peace with all men. Not that they have to walk all over us, but a lot of times we can settle conflicts by just being wise and not being so argumentative. Hangs around the decent folks. We already talked about this one. Walks with wise men will be wise. Takes correction well. The fool despises his father's instruction. He who receives correction is prudent. Okay, so somebody comes up and they give you a critical observation. They point out something that bothers you, that, that they think is a flaw, is a fault, or you didn't handle a situation well. What's our immediate inner response? <clears throat> Defensive. I want to argue, I want to prove that I am right and they are wrong. Okay, you and I need to be cautious to say, now wait a minute. Maybe there is some truth, and maybe we should evaluate that as constructive criticism. There's a virtue in that of being able to say, okay, instead of just writing them off, is there any truth to what they said that I could correct? That's a virtue. That's a positive. Don't get angry, uh, don't get angry quickly. He, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his own spirit. Self-control. Self-control when you're driving. Self-control when you're playing sports. Self-control when you're shopping. Okay? Self-control in all areas of our... Self-control when somebody takes your pew. Okay? And not getting angry quickly. Controls their speech. We talk about that. Doesn't repeat the mistakes of others. We talk about that. That they cover transgression. They don't have to brag about what they've done. It's not all about me, and here's what I've done. Let another man praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. A, a display of modesty and humility, and not braggadociousness. Okay? That, and the idea is, he that is wise wins souls. Are they interested in soul winning? Are they interested in seeing people get saved? Those are character traits that he is encouraging in the area of developing relationships, in particular, relationships with people who are going to be close to you. In this setting, we're talking about dating. So it brings us back to that whole idea that what we need to do is we need to look for traits. But if we're looking in the lives of others, we should be developing these traits in our own lives. This book of what we just did in Proverbs is something for everyone in this room to evaluate, to say, wait a minute, are these areas that I can be working on? Are these areas that I want my kids to work on? Are these areas that, that I not only want them to see in others, but I want others to see in them? And so you, by being wise, might sit down with this list this week for your devotions and say, what about these traits that we just, let me go back and look at the verses. How can I incorporate these in my own life? The self-control of speech, the not criticizing others or sharing some flaws or some faults. How do I control that idea of not getting angry? How do I do that? That would be wise on your part. Let's go back to where we were. The commands, okay? Number one, we said that you date people who are saved, committed, Christians with good, with good character. Number two, command. 
Number two, for dating. A command, you always respect your parents' rules. You always respect the rules, standards. Now, I'm going back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise, that it may be well with you and may live long upon the earth. Most of us immediately say, well, that word children means what age group? We ask this. We do this. We say, well, that doesn't mean teenagers. Okay? That means just the little kids, the preschoolers. Actually, the word does not. The word that he uses in this text is all ages. Okay? The sense of those who are living at home, the idea of obeying your parents. In fact, he repeats it in Colossians. Children, obey your parents in all things. The word obey means to hear under. Hear under. Now, there's different levels of hearing under. When they're real little, little, the hearing under is supposed to be you obey every single thing that they're saying. As they get older, we understand as parents, there are going to be more liberties. When they get into teen years, we're going to be giving, some things aren't going to be as stringent as commands as they are counsel. But the idea here is listen. Listen to your parents. Listen to your parents. And so the idea is here that generally applies to young people in particular who are of that dating age, those teen years, you're still supposed to be listening to your parents. You're living in their home. You're under their rules. And hearing under would be listening to what they say. If they have standards for dating, where you go, the time you're supposed to be in, who you're supposed to be with. Okay? Our standard was this. You tell us where you're going to go when you're going out on the date, and if there's the chance, which there is the chance, that they may end up changing their plans, which does that ever happen? Oh, absolutely. So the rule was that if your plans are changed, let us know. Just let us know. Hey, just give us a call. Let us know. Where plans are changed, we're not headed this direction, and some of the timing, therefore, is going to change. That's fine. As long as there's communication. That was our standard. That's what we expected from them. And when they didn't do it, there was consequences. Okay? And so the idea is that they're supposed to be respectful in communicating that. The idea of the means, the times, the communication. You know, what I mean by the means and times, I know what I would do now as a parent is we were, my parenting time, we didn't have as much of the cell phones in, in the home at that time. But I would definitely have rules and regulations of how much texting can be done after a certain time. You know, just to control some of that influence. Because I want them to sleep at night. Not be on the phone throughout the night. The respect needs to be shown to both parents. However, parents need to do this. We as parents. I have to understand that as my teens were getting older, and when they were in the college age in particular, and they were getting more and more intense in the dating, they had to have more and more independence with me as the advisor, but I needed to also let them have some liberties here that I didn't have when they were in sixth grade. And respecting and, and, and assuming that what we have taught and how we raise them is going to give them a good foundation. And so we don't want to provoke our children to wrath, that we are discouraging relationships because we're trying to dominate their life. Let, let me go a little bit further, okay? Um, point is, when dating, you don't purposely violate the rules and standards that are set up. In fact, I would strongly encourage us, don't date someone who's encouraging you to disobey your parents. Stay away from that type of person, Okay? Uh, if they have an issue with your parents' rules, go and talk with your parents, but don't go behind your parents' back. And if that individual that you're dating is saying you don't have to listen to your parents, they're not good for you. They're not good for you, okay? Because they're asking you to disobey God. Because God commands you to respect your parents and to obey them here under them as much as possible. There's a third command. Always be pure in your relationship. Go to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians, just two texts that we're going to look at here quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a command in Scripture. 
command in Scripture that deals with dating. It's very clear it's dating. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, he's talking in this context to unmarried people, unmarried people who are attracted to another person. And he's saying to them, which obviously is a dating situation, chapter 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to caress a woman. It's sexually caress. It's talking about intimate caress. Nevertheless, to avoid, and he calls that intimate caressing fornication. To avoid this fornication, let every man have his what? His wife, his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. He's making it clear that this intimate touching is reserved for husbands and wives. And just your husband and just your wife, just between the two of you. So he's making it very clear. Now, we read this text often and we forget the entire context. If you back up in the previous verses, in the previous verses is the section of Scripture that we know, and often we quote it separate, about the Spirit of God living within your body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of who? The Holy Spirit. Now, we quote this. And we say, this is a proof text of the Holy Spirit living in me, which is in you, which you have of God. You are not your own. There you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Great passage. Wonderful truth. But we have to back up a little bit more. Why did he say that? And why did he follow it up with sexual purity? Because that's the discussion. If you back up a little bit, even further, go back to verse 16. In chapter 6, what know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is become one body with her? For two saith he shall become one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee, what does he say? Sexual impurities. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against what? His own body. And don't you know that your body belongs to who? The Holy Spirit. God has purchased you. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which belongs to God. And if you can't resist, if you're so attracted, then you get married. And you only have that intimacies with your husband or with your wife. Very clear. Context is very clear. That dating, uh, that premarital sex is wrong in dating. It's very clear. First Thessalonians, we talked about this last week, First Thessalonians chapter 4. In this text, in First Thessalonians 4, it's a command of God where he says, this is the will of God, even your purity, your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification with purity. Very clear. Now, let me, let me put this together for you. Do you know what he's saying in these verses? He is saying that premarital sex is sin against God can't get away from that. That's just exactly what the scriptures say. He is saying that premarital sex is sin against the other person. In 1 Thessalonians, he goes on, he says, do not defraud one another, steal from one another, steal the purity, steal the innocency. So when we talk about premarital sex, it is sin against God. It is sin against the other person that you're engaged with. And it is sin against who? Yourself. It is sin against your own body. It's a, it creates a physical, spiritual threat to your own body. That's what the Word of God says. So you, you, you say, okay, I need to teach this to my kids. When? When they're starting to thinking about the other gender. When, they, when they're going through the dating process, we need to reiterate this. You young adults who are involved with dating, this purity is a command of God. It is so important. And the question often comes up, well, what touching is permissible? 
Can we kiss? Can we hold hands? Can we hug? What is allowed? We had to answer that for our kids to say, okay, what is permissible? What is okay? What isn't okay? You know, is there, is a lot of kissing okay? Is it okay to, you know, snuggle together on the couch when you're watching something? Is it wrong to be alone ever, ever, ever? Is it wrong to sit next to each other at church? You know, and put your arm over across, you know, get that bold move. Put the arm around the shoulder. Is, is what is permissible? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump out of this one and just say, that's your parents' job. Okay? You need to qualify this and you need to discuss this. Somebody's got to answer the question. Okay? Somebody's got to deal with and give direction morally. Can I give you just a, a, just a broad statement of what, you want, what I would, where I did anyway, what we did? Teach your son to keep the boundaries you want others to keep with your daughter. To me, that was a real clear standard. You boys don't do anything that I don't want some boy to do with your sisters. You, know, you treat. You treat that girl like somebody's sister because she is. She's your sister in the Lord. 1 Timothy 5 verse 4. Okay, and so we, you, that needs to be taught. That's the command of God. Let's get another one in here quickly. The dating, you're, you don't, here's the command of God. You don't put yourself, you don't put your reputation in a questionable conduct or situation. This is true of all of us in all areas of our life. But now we're applying it to dating. Here's a command. Those of you who are involved with it, don't put yourself in a, in a questionable spot. Do you remember what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22? Abstain from appearances of evil. Stay away from that which looks evil. That will give you a bad reputation. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So in dating, it's like, okay, what do, how does this apply? What is it? Can, can I give you some practical suggestion? I would encourage, and we did, I would encourage that when you're planning a date, you plan it. When you don't plan something and just say, we're just going to do whatever, that's when things get difficult. Plan. So we always ask, where are you going? When are you going to be back? You know, what are you going to do? You know, and get an idea. Plan the event. If it's that special, plan something. But something that you're taking into account, okay, I'm staying away from the atmosphere, I'm staying away from people who are going to encourage questionable activity that would tear down my reputation, tear down the name of Jesus Christ. You know, so I'm, I'm going to also you know, make sure, and we, you know, this was our rule, you're never at home, even when you're engaged, you're not in our house alone for an extended period of time with that significant other. Just not going to let, the, let that situation be for our kids. We just wanted to protect them. Not that we you know, didn't trust our kids, but we didn't trust our kids. Okay? That we just understood that this isn't a healthy situation that would help their reputation and put them in awkward spots. Go to places and where you're confident this is where Jesus would go. Just ask yourself. I mean, that's a good question we should ask all the time. Is this a movie Jesus would watch? Is this something, place that Jesus would go? Is this something that the Lord would be involved in? Listen to your parents, okay, and some of their rules. But can I add something else when it comes to dating and not being in bad situations? Don't, you know, or in your dating, make prayer a regular part of your dating. You say, well, when we get married, we're going to start praying together because the Bible encourages. If you don't do it when you're dating, you're not going to do it when you're married. Do it when you're dating. Find out if they're interested in praying together. Why don't, we, why don't we study the Bible together? Oh, you don't want to study the Bible. Oh, you don't like to pray. So we're never going to do that when we're dating. But when we get married, then you're going to become this spiritual giant? I don't think so. Okay. Let's give you another command. Pray a lot. 
Okay, we know that prayer is commanded in scriptures in multiple situations, but it's a command. We're supposed to be praying. Praying about who you're dating, when you're dating, how you're dating. Pray about those items. Okay, now based upon what we said so far, you're doing God's commands. The other two, I'll go quicker here. Put God first in all relationships. What I mean by that is this, and I don't have to do any exposition because we already know that's a simple statement. That's from the Word of God. We put God first and foremost. We love Him with all of our heart. Well, I guess the way that that would look in a dating situation is we follow God's rules, just what we talked about. It would mean I put God ahead of the person I date. That would mean this, that we do what God says, no matter what that person, that other person is trying to suggest, what that person wants us to do, even for our goals. That means that, okay, I want to date only somebody who wanted to help me to grow in the Lord, because I needed all the help I could get. And so I'm putting God first, and so the, the person that is an interest is somebody that's going to help me to grow spiritually and put God first. That means that the major focus of my dating experience was me working on myself, growing in the Lord. And if that person is becoming an interruption, an interference for me growing in the Lord, and they're discouraging it, that's not a healthy relationship for me. Because let's, let's back up for a second. How many of you need to keep growing in the Lord? All of us, okay? You get married, are you done growing in the Lord? No. We, it's, it's a constant. We want to surround ourselves with people who will help us. I'll give you an illustration of this. If God has called you to missions, then don't get involved with people who don't have any burden for missions to steer you away from the, the leading and the prompting of the Lord to go into missions. It, you could go this way. If you're convicted about something in your dating relationship or the way you've conducted or treated other people, if you're convicted... You put God first, not the other person. Well, if I, if, if I stop something that we've been doing in dating, they might dump me. God is first. God is first. If they dump you, then it's good for you. It might be good for them because then that might be a wake-up call for them to think about the Lord. Okay? If you see something in the other person's life that isn't godly in a dating relationship... Then it is appropriate, Galatians 6.1, you which are spiritual, try to restore such a one who is not spiritual. It would be appropriate and still is appropriate for my wife to say to me, say, Wayne, you need to change something. This is coming across. This is, this is not healthy for you and the Lord. That's good. That's, that's helpful. That iron sharpens iron. And if you're putting the Lord first, you're going to help that other person in that way. You make it a regular practice to do some Bible study and praying together. You spend some time serving the Lord. The Lord's first. The Lord's first. Even in our dating relationship, we can serve the Lord. We can go out. We can go and we can, we can visit some of the shut-ins, some of the widows. We could do that. That could be a dating experience. Serve the Lord and then go out and do something together, the two of us. But serve the Lord. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't substitute church for your dating. Well, we're going we're to develop this relationship so it means that the time we would give to the Lord, we're going to give to each other. Don't develop your relationship this way that all of a sudden God gets pushed on a back burner for worship because you're busy. Can I tell you the truth of life? Let me just... How many people your life is busy? Anybody here in this room? We're not complaining, but how many feel that life is busy? Yes? No? When does it stop getting busy? When does it... Oh, I know. I know. When you retire, you've got nothing to do. No. You walk around ask the retirees. They didn't realize how busy life was. That, that they just... There's things to do. Everybody is busy. You're not busy. Those who are in college aren't the only people who are busy. Hello? 
That's, the life is busy for everybody. So don't say, well, we just need to, to get away from the Lord and not worship and we're just going to go on dating. What an unhealthy practice to start a relationship on. Okay? Treat others as you want to be treated. This, is, this doesn't need exposition. This is just practical, practical application as we wind down. Okay? We read in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. We read in Scripture, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. We read in Scripture, as you wish others do to you, so do to them. We can't, we can't make it any clearer. You do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. So what does it look like? Well, I would think it would look like you don't do these things. You don't make fun of them. You don't like being made fun of. You, you don't treat them rudely. You don't like that. You don't assume the worst about them. You don't like that being done to you. You don't cut them off. You don't embarrass them. You don't ignore their interests. You don't disregard their input. You don't break their confidence. You, you don't talk them down. Look at the list. It's not all-encompassing, but, but I'll guarantee this. I can't guarantee. I shouldn't say that. I, I'm, I'm just convinced in my heart this is truth. No married couple wants to be treated like this by their spouse. Nobody. None of us want to be treated like this by our parents. None of the parents want to be treated like this by their kids. None of us want our siblings to treat us this way. Now, does it happen? Yes. But none of us want this. So why should we do it to others? The scripture says if we don't like this, then what should we do? We should be doing the opposite. We should be doing the polite. We should be doing the compliment. We should be doing the giving attention. We should be doing listening to them. We should be responding to their, and their, their communication to us. We should be communicating regularly. We should be helping them out. We should be respectful of their time. By the way, this applies in dating. This applies in marriage. This applies in parenting. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so it's very clear. You go and you say, okay, this is what I should be working on. This is what I want my date to be working on. And if they aren't of a mindset to do this, this isn't going to be a good relationship for you. This is not going to be healthy in time. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to feel like they disrespect you. Get out of the relationship before it gets even more involved. Learn that here's what we need to do is treat others the way we want to be treated. And it applies right now. It applies to everyone in this room. Are you treating your family members the way you want to be treated? You know, this happens to all of us. This happens when, when we're in respect in all areas. It happens when tensions start building between us and family members. How do we respond to them? Do we treat them the way they, they should, we want them to treat us when things are getting tense? when things are getting difficult, okay? Do you portray kindness? Do you portray humility, gentleness? By the way, those are all fruits of the Spirit that are so encouraged in Scripture. It comes down to this. If you're a wise individual, whether you are in the dating stages or if you're in the marriage stages or if you're in the parenting stages, it comes down to this, that if you looked at what we said this evening and said these are some areas that I hope to teach my kids, but I need to work on as well. I hope you're wise enough to regard reproof, instruction, and to change things in your own heart and life, even now.